All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, are we on? Do we have camera? No camera. Okay. Well, that's cool. That's all right. Well, good morning. And um, <laughs> knowing that you can't see me, I want you just to envision this six foot surfer guy with blonde hair, a very muscular physique and uh, who's totally stoked to be here and sharing God's word with you this morning. Um, hopefully, uh, maybe sometime through the service or at least by Wednesday, we'll have this all cleared up. But it is what it is. Technology is wonderful as long as you don't need it, right? Is that true? Um, I want to go through a couple of announcements, please. Um, First of all, I want to say thank you to those of you who have continued to support the ministry here through your tithes and offerings, uh, giving online, mailing them in and, and whatnot. It's much appreciated. But having said that, I also want you to know that if you are in a, a situation where um, it's particularly financially tough for you, we don't want you to be embarrassed or ashamed to call us for help because uh, we are the body, we are the family, and we do have a benevolence fund, and we will be glad to help meet your need in, in any which way that we, we can. So please um, keep that in mind, and don't be afraid, and don't be ashamed, and don't let the enemy steal the blessing from the church to meet your need. Tonight at 6 p.m., we have our online prayer meeting via Zoom. You can go on our website and click the link, and it will take you there. That's at 6 p.m. tonight, and I do hope that you would consider joining us because praying is necessary. It's good. And uh, with that... Um, yeah, I think that's all the announcements I have. I want to thank uh, the people who came out yesterday to help uh, clean out uh, Kim Hounshell's uh, shed. Uh, appreciate you uh, shouldering the load there, even in this time of uncertainty and the coronavirus and such. Much appreciated. All right, we are in Exodus chapter 28. So if you want to open your Bibles, to Exodus chapter 28. And by the way, Vince, if we do go on, on air, with the camera, let me know because I don't want to be scratching my nose or something. Got it. Let's read together verses one through four. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons. Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron and your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. Father, we give you thanks for all things. We give you praise for the technology that is working so that we are able to communicate to the flock through the medium of um, the web. And we ask you now, Lord God, that you take your words 
and that you would speak it to the heart of the people. May this service be indeed for the glory and for the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ. May you be honored and glorified and may your people be edified. May they be encouraged. May they really be stoked to be, Father, in the ministry, to be in the priesthood. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you were little, did your mother uh, coordinate your outfits for Easter? Do you guys remember doing that? Right? Uh, I saw some pictures online of uh, families who coordinated for Easter, and uh, it looked like they were getting dressed for a costume party. And uh, when she came home and she saw how they were dressed, and she said, you let them go to church looking like that? I said, what? They, were, they weren't naked. I mean, what more do you want? No, it didn't match, but they were happy, and we all had a good time. The clothes that we choose to wear often reflect our status and values. You can tell a lot by what people wear. They can even tell you your priorities. Have you ever noticed all the entertainment shows that interview the stars on the red carpet events like the Academy Awards and the reporters are asking the actors and the actresses, who are you wearing, right? And you find out which designer created the clothes they're wearing. Now, in the ancient world, clothing had a similar significance. It can reflect a person's socioeconomic status, it can, their mood, their character. And here in chapter 8, God is laying out detailed instructions on how to dress and how to accessorize Aaron and his sons to fulfill the priesthood. And although you might think it's just a mundane thing, it has a lot to say to us. It has application. So let's look at verse 1. Take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. This is the coming foundation of the priesthood. Remember where we're at here. We're at Mount Sinai. Moses has gotten instructions from God. And God has told him how to build the tabernacle, and we went through that in detail. And now he's establishing the priesthood. And what is a priesthood? Well, these are ordained and called men in the Old Testament, but men and women in the New Testament, who represent the people before God and represent God before the people. I mean, fundamentally, that's what the priesthood is about. Now, there's a whole lot more to it, but, you know, as sort of a Wikipedia article and as a form of instruction, that's what it's all about. The priesthood could not be earned or aspired to. You couldn't write out an application at the local priesthood office and, and turn it in so that people could consider you for it. It could only be inherited by birthright. Inherited by birthright. You had to be born into a priestly family. Well, we, guys, just to let you know, we have a high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is our... That's like saying that living in this nation in the United States, that we are a nation of doctors. Everyone is a qualified and certified doctor, okay? You may be a truck driver, or you might be working in a hospital, but you're all a doctor, a nation of doctors. What we have here is a kingdom of priests. Everyone is a priest because of their birth into Jesus' priestly family. How cool is that? Um, I think it's far more cool than you probably appreciate. There was a, uh, back in the day, in the early days of the church, uh, the Archbishop of Constantinople, John Chrysostom, 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 Chrysostom. He said the priesthood far excels royal dignity 
as the soul excels the body. Think about this for a second, guys. Being a priest is a high privilege. It's a distinct honor. It's an esteemed position worthy of deep respect. That's the attitude with which you need to approach your calling with. Because that's how God sees it. And to show that, God instructs Moses to make holy garments. All right, go back to Exodus 28 and look at verse 2. Exodus 28, verse 2. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. God does not want Aaron and his sons ministering in their everyday clothes. Can't come to work in your, in your jeans and your t-shirt. Okay. God wanted Aaron to minister in garments. Please. That were skillfully woven and beautifully adorned. Is he into fashion then? No, but he is into glory and beauty. Simply put, the God of heaven and earth is greatly appreciative of beauty. Some of you guys have heard of R.C. Sproul, He's a, a theologian. Um, he was telling the story about how he searched all day for a birthday gift for his girlfriend. This is when he was in third grade, by the way, eight years old. He searched all day to find a shiny pendant, and he got it because it was shiny. He liked shiny things. And he gave it to his then girlfriend at eight years old, and she was just absolutely overwhelmed and thrilled by it. And he says that's good because he's been buying her little gold things ever since because that little third grader became his wife later on. He says this, the Christian faith is like a stool with three legs. We have a tendency to make our stools with only one or two legs. The three legs that properly belong to the Christian faith, the three elements of the faith are the good, the true, and the beautiful. The good, the true, and the beautiful. It's obvious that God is concerned about goodness, right? He is the fountainhead of everything that's good and we are called to be a reflection of that goodness, right? He's also deeply concerned with truth. Uh, he himself is the essence of truth, so, so we are supposed to be a people who love and practice truth. And finally, as we see here in Exodus chapter 28, verse 2, God is highly concerned about that which is beautiful. And I think that's something we overlook. When God built a church, he wanted it to be beautiful. That tells us that whatever we do in the church, we should do it tastefully. The life of the church should be adorned with beauty as a visible expression of our desire to honor God. As we read and study the scriptures, we have to come to the conclusion that there is an ultimate source of beauty. And what is that? Well, you would say the right answer is Jesus, of course. But he embodied the character of God. Just as the standard for goodness and truth is God, so the ultimate standard of beauty is God. And he is very interested in beauty in his creation. Look at verse 3. You shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. The garments are being made to consecrate Aaron, okay? In other words, it's gonna set Aaron apart from everyone else, all right? 
Um, I think I have a picture up here. Is that the next one? You guys remember this group? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, this is Striper. It was a Christian band back in the, the 80s, right? Uh, not necessarily glorious, not necessarily beautiful, maybe a little bit more bizarre, but their outfits did set them apart from the rest of society, didn't it? Yes. And so these garments of God that God is designing for Aaron and his sons will set them apart from the common. Now in verse 3, he called for gifted artisans filled with the spirit of wisdom. He's saying that certain men will be especially empowered by him to work skillfully on this project. An artisan is someone who is a worker in a skilled trade. Not necessarily an artist, but the work that they do is like art in itself. Um, so they are workers in a skilled trade that involves making things by hand, as opposed to something produced without imagination. You probably go to Ikea, you buy furniture there. I got to tell you, I think the stuff you buy at Ikea lacks imagination. However, an artisan is skilled and imaginative and a visionaries. I want to show you a picture of our church. Okay, I think it's, it's nice, it's handsome, it's adequate, and uh, it, it's great. But look at this next picture. That's Notre Dame, no, I'm sorry, that's not, that is the cathedral at Milan, Italy. This is not too far from where David and Danae live. Okay, let's go back again, CCA. Got it? And the cathedral at Milan. Do you see a difference? One of these is not like the other. Do you have a blues clue? In his book, Spirit and Art, the author, Van James, says, In medieval times, every stone was set in place by an individual who took pride in his work. Every door handle and hinge was singularly handcrafted by someone who poured his feelings, thinking, and will into the work. And that's what God is doing here. He's calling gifted artisans who will pour their feelings and thinking and will into the work. Led, inspired, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Turn to, to Exodus 31, okay? Exodus 31. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I indeed have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. God has empowered men to do things that were clearly beyond normal ability. Now, you think that might not have a lot to do with you, but um, as they say, a quantoire. <laughs> I know I didn't pronounce that right. If you do, if what you do is really done for the glory of God, and which what you do, how much of what you do should be done for the glory of God, according to the Word of God, all you do should be done for the glory of God. No matter how practical or how mundane or how manual it might seem, your service requires the leading and the anointing and the, of the Holy Spirit just as much as what you would consider to be spiritual service. Do all things to the glory of God. 
do all things for glory and beauty. God has given every believer special abilities and skills to build up the church for his glory. Some of the people in our congregation are gifted artisans on the same level with Bezalel and Ohio Lab. <laughs> Aholiab. Ohio Lab. I'm sure they have labs in Ohio, but I don't know if Aholiab is uh, working there. There are people here who have the same care and love and pour their heart into their work as those who designed and worked on that cathedral in Milan. And I see their work and, and I'm just blown away. Um, Roy Rose is one of those. Dave McCarthy is one of those. Eric Godoy is one of those. When you see their work and their craftsmanship, you can tell that it's, it's more than just a job to them. It's a work of art. And beyond that, I will say this, by the authority of the book I'm teaching from, everyone in this congregation is gifted. All of you are gifted. You are filled with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And it might be in the area of teaching. It might be in the area of administration. It might be in the area of leadership or comforting or showing of mercy or giving encouragement, you are equally gifted and empowered by the Spirit as Bezalel and Roy Rose. You are as gifted as they. Now you may not know it because you've been sitting on your gifts and you haven't been developing your gifts. So the encouragement there is obviously look at the gifts God has given you. Find them. Use them. All right, let's look at the priest ensemble. We're going to go back to Exodus 28. Look at verse 4. An ensemble. You guys know what an ensemble is? Angel, you know what an ensemble is? Yes, exactly. According to Wikidiff, you guys have heard of Wikidiff? You've heard of Wikipedia, right? Here's Wikidiff. There's a difference between an outfit and an ensemble. An outfit is just a, a set of clothes with accessories that you wear. An ensemble is a group of separate pieces of clothing that contribute to a coordinated look that becomes an outfit when you put it on. Okay, so let's look at the ensemble that God designs for the priesthood. Verse 4, these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban and a sash, so they shall make holy garments for Aaron. So here are the items of your ensemble. And I don't know if you can see this picture well enough, but on this picture, you should be able to identify the breastplate and the ephod. Okay, the ephod is sort of the thing that slung over the shoulders there. And by the way, just so you know, the, the Hebrew word for ephod is ephod okay just thought you might like to know that in the second picture we see the robe the tunic the turban and the sash if you were here i would be taking that little red laser dot to uh, point it all out to you but you can look at this online you can google it and see it for yourself now remember here, this is God as the fashion designer, okay? This is his design. And remember, this ensemble, the priests were to wear were for glory and for beauty, to set them apart from the ordinary. I want you to look at the color scheme. Look at verse 5. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and the fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen artistically worked. Now drop down to verse 8. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. If you've been working with us through the, the book of Exodus and remember our teaching on the tabernacle and the holy place, and you would notice these colors, okay? 
these color schemes repeated three times in those four verses. Gold, which is the uh, symbol of deity. Blue, which is a symbol of heaven. Purple, a symbol of royalty. And scarlet, a symbol of sacrifice. And the white linen of righteousness. It's the same color scheme used at the entrance of the tabernacle complex. It matches the color scheme of the tapestries that are woven inside the holy place and most holy place and of course it symbolizes Jesus that's right Jesus so what's the point just as the priests were color coordinated with the tabernacle where people came to connect with God to personally identify with God God so personally identified with the tabernacle. Jesus is directly connected to the place where he is sought after. Right? You go into Freddy's. Guys ever eaten at Freddy's? They have um, a uniform, don't they? They wear like a white top and a little funny, little funky little hat, right? And you know that they work at Freddy's. And you would expect to see them where? At Freddy's. They identify with Freddy's, and Freddy's identifies with them. Jesus identifies with the church, where the people go to meet with him, so that the people can identify with him, the place of worship. Now, a lot of people will say that they love the Lord, but the church is full of hypocrites, that they have no use for the church. You heard that before? Well, they excuse themselves from joining in, and they feign a hyper-spirituality that they are above the hypocrisy. Well, I agree there is a lot of hypocrisy in the church. I'm not going to argue that, but I will tell you that Jesus wasn't ashamed to identify with the hypocrites. Hebrews 2.11, you can turn there if you like, I'll read it to you. Hebrews 2.11 and 12. For both he, this is Hebrews 2, verses 11 and 12. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. Who's the one who's sanctifying us? Jesus Christ. Sanctifies means to make us saint-like, if you will, okay? Making us more like a saint. So he's the one who is sanctifying and we are the ones being being sanctified and we're both one Jesus and us are one and he says later he is not ashamed to call us brothers okay he's not the one that needs to be sanctified it's us and he is doing the work of sanctification but he's not ashamed to call us brethren and verse 12 says I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. Jesus declaring God's name to us in the midst of the assembly. It's important that we be in the church of God, whether we're hypocrites or not. In Hebrews, we see Jesus singing praises to his father in the midst of his church. Warts and all. John Corson said, yeah, we're flawed. Yeah, we fail. But of us, Jesus says, I'm in the midst of them and I'm not ashamed of them. I'm one with them. I'm proud of them. Therefore, never let the enemy whisper in your ear that you can separate Jesus, the great high priest, from his church. All right, we've got the ensemble. Now let's accessorize it, okay? And by the way, if I say something about ensembles and accessorizing and I get it wrong, please, you know, let me know and correct me so that I can repent of my error. Um, but I'm going for, for what I understand. Look at uh, verse 9, Exodus 28, verse 9. God says, you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod 
as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. So here he's accessorizing the shoulders in verses 9 and verse 12. Now you're going to see that each tribe is going to have its own gem, its own color when we get to the breastplate. Um, their names inscribed on these two onyx stones, however, speak not of their diversity, but of their unity, their commonality. So while we each have a unique flavor, we're all founded on the single rock of ages, Jesus Christ. We see their names on his shoulders. Well, what do we mean when we say, put your shoulder into it, right? It's a place of burden bearing. It's the place of heavy lifting. When you put a yoke on an ox or a wool, you put it on its shoulders so that they can put their weight and their strength into it. I worked for a cabinet company and I used to haul countertops to uh, apartment sites where they're constructing apartments and I would haul as much as 125 pounds of countertops on my shoulders uh, which was the only way I could actually carry it up two stories and sometimes three stories. Um, I couldn't do that today. As a matter of fact, I'm paying for all of that today. Didn't realize what I was doing to my back. But Jesus did some heavy lifting for me. He bore the heaviest thing in the world when he bore the weight of my sin on his shoulders. Now you guys, the priest, me, the pastor, all of us, are we willing to help carry some weight? Will we lift others to the Lord, interceding for them on our knees? Will you do some heavy lifting on behalf of others to meet their needs? Um, we are in a day and a time when Christians are lacking in their service to God. Not everyone, of course. Not everyone. But the calls keep going out and keep going out and keep going out. And like I said on the... Uh, sermon I gave on a Wednesday evening about sort of the state of the union of the church. I said, this isn't the time to retreat. It's not the time to back down. It's the time to be moving forward and putting our shoulders to the work. Um, you are called to be a minister, and so the high priest was called to be a minister and to shoulder the load of the, the people. And this meant, this meant in practical terms, going before the Lord, going before the Lord and praying for the needs of the people. Our great high priest gave us an example. He said that he would go out with loud what? Loud cries. In the evening time, praying for his disciples, praying for the world. Do we do that? Do we join in? We need to. Um, we need to be available to clean out storage sheds or teach a fourth grade class or disinfect the church. That, that's what this is all about in shouldering the work. All right. So we've accessorized the shoulders. Let's go accessorize the heart. Look at verse 15. You shall make the breastplate of judgment. Now, breastplate of judgment was something that made decisions, not judging whether the person was innocent or guilty, but making decisions. Later on next week, as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about the, the Urim and the Thummim, all right, which were, well, we'll talk all about that, but that was a tool for discerning God's will. So that's what the plate of judgment is all about. You shall bear, um, in verse... 
15 it says, you shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it. Then verse 17, you shall put settings of stones in it. And then verse 21, and the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, 12 according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the 12 tribes. And then verse 29, so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment. Underline this phrase, please, if you're taking notes, over his heart. When he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And verse 30, you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart. And when he goes in before the Lord, so Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart. When God keeps repeating something, that means you probably should be listening. I know we do that sometimes when our parents used to talk to us, right? After they said the same thing fourth time in the same conversation, and you start thinking, well, is there a point to this? Should I be listening to what they're saying? And the answer is yes. It's not enough that the high priest work for the people, you know, putting them on his shoulders, but he's got to love the people. So it's not enough for you to come and teach the fourth grade Sunday school class. It's not enough to go clean out the shed. It's not enough to clean, disinfect the church or do any work of the ministry if you don't have a love for the people. It's not what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, right? If I give my, my whole body to be burned at the stake, if I give everything for the poor but I don't have love, I am nothing. It can't be, you know, Lord, I love the ministry, but it's people I can't stand. Um, remember Peanuts? That's what Lucy always said. She was a psychiatrist, right? She had a little psychiatrist booth, and she said she loved humanity, but it was just people that she couldn't stand. And I do know ministers who are in the work of the ministry as a job, and they love the ministry, but they don't like the people that they work with. That's an oxymoron. 1 Peter 5.2 says this. 1 Peter 5.2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. God's sheep are truly precious to him. They're like precious jewels. That's why you see the different jewels being put on the breastplate and put over the heart of the priest. Matthew 13, Jesus, he likens us to the pearls of great price. Joseph Smith notwithstanding. Can't neglect the fact that God commanded the tribes to have their names inscribed on gemstones. Truly precious things. People, God's people, are indeed precious to him should be to all of his under-shepherds as well. The people need to be precious. I shouldn't have to be prodded to pastor or to parent or to work with the fourth graders. In other words, my motivation should not stem from someone relentlessly badgering me. It has to be that eternal, internal call from God that motivates me to do it. All right, let's move on. Exodus 28, verse 36. We're going to accessorize the mind. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. You shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. This is keeping 
in mind that your ministry is to be done in holiness. It speaks of a life that is separated to God. And that is essential for anyone who's going to appear before God. Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no one will what? Will see God. The high priest is going to stand before the Lord, a sinner himself. He's going to offer sacrifice for his and the sins of the people. And he needs to come in the appointed way with the appointed animal sacrifices offered already. And he needs to come in at the appointed time. And if he has done this, then God will accept him. Now we, as a kingdom of priests, we stand before the Lord in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. On the other side of that coin of righteousness is the word holiness. If you're not there righteous before God and, and you, you understand that, you're not going to understand and conceive. You're not going to see God. You're not going to be able to perceive his leading, his guiding, his direction. The, the Bible will become a mystery in a sense to things because you're approaching it without seeking, pursuing righteousness and holiness. Now, as we pray for our brothers and sisters, which we should, we also, like the high priest, we confess the sins, the sins of our nation, the sins of our culture. We are to intercede, praying for forgiveness and asking wholeheartedly for God's righteousness to reign in the nation. Always keep in mind the holiness to the Lord. Um, Chrysodom again said, It behooves the priest to be as pure as if he stood in heaven amidst those powers. Be mindful of our own sinfulness and motivate. Be mindful of your own sinfulness. Be motivated. I'm lost. Okay, now I'm found. Don't be a hypocrite. Praying for someone who's wearing your sin. I know as parents, you know, the sins, when your kids start wearing your sins around the house, it doesn't look too good. And it bugs you. And you might be praying for them to repent of their sins, but have you prayed for yourself to repent of your own? And that's part of the high priest's responsibility, to represent God before the people, represent the people before God. The high priest was responsible to maintain and assure and when necessary, reestablish the holiness of the chosen people of God. You guys remember the story of Moses pleading with God to forgive the people because when he comes down from the mountain, and we're going to get into that when we get to chapter 32, he was what? They were doing what? They, they had got tired of waiting for Moses. So they, they built a golden calf and they were dancing around it naked, right? Uh, sounds a lot like what happens today too. So God says, you know, um, my wrath is burning hot against them and I want to consume them. And Moses said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Then verse 14 of chapter 32 says, the Lord relented. And verse 20 says, Moses took the calf which they made and burned it in the fire and ground it into powder and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel, Israel drink it. He needed to reestablish holiness in the people of God. He needed to call out the sin, call out the wickedness, and then remove it from the congregation. And that's a priest's job, to call it out. Now, if you've got a child and your parent and they're sinning, I don't think you should grind up their iPod or iPad, you know, into a drink so that they can drink it and taste it that way. But you may have to confront them. If there's unrighteousness that is going on, it needs to be confronted 
It can't be just tolerated and ignored. The same thing in the church. If there is sin in the camp, it needs to be confronted and lovingly restored if possible. Um, anyway, let's finish this up and we'll get the worship team up here. Verse 40 says, Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them and for glory and for beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. So, uh, Aaron's sons, you can't minister in speedos, okay? You're going to have to keep it pure and keep it modest. There shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting, when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, and they do not incur iniquity and die. They shall be a statute forever from his descendants after him. All right, here's the reflection. Just as God designed the ensemble for his priests and laid it out on their beds to wear as their ministering outfits, we have an ensemble to dress into. Turn to Isaiah 61.10. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. See guys, this is glory. This is beauty. To consecrate you and to sanctify you. According to 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that means this beauty, this glory was imputed to us. It was imparted to us. It was given to us. Now, that's the ensemble. Let's accessorize it. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. The word put on there in the Greek literally means to clothe yourself. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let's close with this quote from Chrysostom. Therefore, the beauty of a priest's soul should be in all respects so resplendent as to gladden and enlighten the souls of all who see him. There was something winsome and attractive about Jesus Christ. There should be something winsome and attractive about us as people see us representing the king. Amen? Amen. Guys, come on up. Well, Father, um, I bow before you now and I ask you to please bless the people with the knowledge that they are so gifted by you. That they are your beauty and your glory, redeemed in Christ Jesus. We are that pearl of great price. We are that which you sought after. And I ask now, Lord God, that you would just help us to really appreciate the calling that's in our lives, being a kingdom of priests, 
it's a wonderful thing. I lift up now, Father, those in our congregation who are ill and who are suffering that. I ask, Father, if it is your will that you put your healing touch upon them, but that they would have strength and endurance and perseverance through it and that they would approach it, Father, with an attitude of thanksgiving to you that glorifies you. I pray for those who are in financial straits because of the situation that we are going through. And we know that you will provide for all of our needs through your riches in Christ's glory, that you will withhold no good thing from us. So I pray, Father, that you provide and I pray for those, Lord, who are just in a state of, of fear, Lord. Perhaps not panic, but just an underlying uneasiness about what's happening right now in our country. I pray that their trust would not be in the government, not in the economy, not in our mastery over technology and medicine, Lord but their trust would be in you, the Most High God. Keep them in perfect peace, Lord, as their mind is stayed upon you. And as they approach you, Father, may they approach you with a heart of thanksgiving because their names are written in your book of life. And they will be with you forever and may they rest in the knowledge that they are being sanctified by Jesus Christ and that they are precious in your sight this I pray in Jesus name Amen